You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. This morning I want us to take a look at a passage of Scripture which asks questions that we ourselves have probably already asked at least once in our life. Okay, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 73. And it's a psalm, and if you're familiar with the book of Psalms, we'll talk a little bit about what they are, because you sometimes see a book in the Bible, and you're like, well, I don't know what a psalm is. I know it's a book of the Bible, but I don't understand the background behind it, where it comes from, what it's all about. But Psalm 73 is a psalm of Asaph. Now, a psalm was usually a song, a prayer, or a praise that's given to God. The Psalms were a worship book for the people of Israel. Uh, They had ceremonies, songs, and prayers for every occasion. So if you read the book of Psalms, this was their hymn book, it was their liturgy, it was their prayer book. So this is the book of worship that the people of Israel would use. Whenever they would gather together uh, to worship God, they would use the Psalms. Now, if it's a Psalm of Asaph, who is Asaph. Now, Asaph's name means collector or he who gathers. Asaph was a musician appointed by King David. Uh, He was given the task of overseeing all the music and worship. Uh, Asaph also sang at the dedication of Solomon's temple, the first temple ever built by the Jewish people. So if you're wondering who Asaph is, Asaph is a worship leader. Now, have you ever wondered why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? You ever thought about that? Maybe just once in your life you thought about it, like, why is this good things happening to people that don't deserve to have good things happen? And why do bad things seem to happen to people that are, you know, should have good things happening to them? They are good people, they do good things. So there seems to be a bit of an inequity in our minds and hearts And we don't quite understand why that is. And so Asaph, this worship leader for King David, wrestled with this question. And so I want us to kind of wrestle a little bit with the questions that we sometimes have about life, about how things work, um, about our own doubts and insecurities, and, and to let you know that it's okay to wrestle with those things. Because we see that there's, in the scriptures, people wrestled with them too. So Asaph dared to ask God, why? And he didn't do this among his peers, but rather he did it privately with the Lord. Now, considering his position, can you imagine the worship leader of the the kingdom of Israel, um, if he got up in front of everybody and shared his thoughts, his doubts, his insecurities, his questions, with the general congregation, it probably would not be well-received. It would probably be confused. You know, he's supposed to lead people in worship. He's not supposed to have these thoughts or feelings. And yet he has these questions. He has these doubts. So you know what he does? He does what any good worship leader would do. He puts pen to paper and writes a song about it. You ever, if you're a musician, you understand this. If you know people who are musicians, like when they don't feel well or if they don't feel right about something or they're wrestling with something, they write. They write music, they write songs. Uh, people who write poetry do this. When they're going through something and they're kind of trying to work through something, they write things down, they write a poem about it. They kind of get their thoughts on paper. 
Um, if you're not a musician, you, you understand the role of music and how sometimes music makes you feel better or sometimes there's a song that resonates with you, whether you listen to it on the radio or it's a song of worship, you go, yeah, like, that's exactly what I feel right now. Asaph writes a song about what he's dealing with, what he's wrestling with. So let's take a look at what he's wrestling with. If you're in Psalm 73, you can follow along with us in your Bible. I encourage you to do that, but you can also follow along on the screen behind me. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but... Isn't that an interesting word, isn't it? You know, a conversation can seem to go really well until someone says, but... And then you're like, okay, what's coming next? It says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So Asaph is a worship leader. He's an important person in King David's court, and yet he sees some things in the world that upset him. He even goes so far to say that he almost lost hope and faith. What was it that caused that kind of wrestling in his heart? What was it that caused those doubts to come up? The fact that people who do bad things were prospering and being successful. And now maybe you've been in the same boat too where you say like, why do wicked people, why do bad people seem to do really well in this life when good people seem to struggle? And so he asks two questions. You can write these down. Two questions he asks in this psalm. The first question is this, why do the wicked prosper? Why do bad people get ahead? Why, are there, why is there success when it comes to people that are evil and shouldn't have the benefit of being successful? And Asaph wrestles with this. But look at verse 4. He says, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Now, I want to pause here for a minute. So it seems like that the wicked have no physical problems or they lack nothing. Asaph's saying, look at these guys. You know, they're well-fed. They're happy. They lack no good thing. None of the problems of life affect them at all. Take a look at verse 6. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness and their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff. They speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouth against heaven, and their tongue strut through the earth. Basically, what he's saying here is, in other words, they incite violence. They speak boastful things. They're proud and arrogant, and they feel like they have the right to be because, hey, look at me. My life's pretty good. I'm wealthy. I'm well-fed. Everything works in my favor. So, like, the world is my oyster. It's whatever I want it to be. And so, you know, who has time for God or the things of God or morality or doing what's right to others or even my neighbor? They think about themselves only. He goes on to say in verse 10, Therefore people turn, their, turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? And behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Now what Asaph is saying here, it says, what this means is that God's people look at them with confusion. Saying, does God even know what's going on? Does God even see this? And they're tempted to think that this behavior is okay because it looks like that's the path to success. That's the path to blessing. And that God's blessing them for acting this way. Or he's just not aware and he doesn't even see. 
That's a mistake that a lot of people can make. But why do the wicked prosper? Now, we sometimes think, well, it's just like, you know, it's because God blesses them or life's unfair or it just seems like people are just doing better than others. Uh, Why they prosper? It's not because they're good. And it's not because God likes them better. In fact, it's because they have no moral boundaries that prevent them from profiting from what is wrong. It's not hard to think about. It's really easy to be wealthy and successful when you have no morality. You don't have to be a genius to cater to people's baser instincts. That's why people make millions off of pornography, the lottery, gambling, selling of drugs and alcohol, sex trafficking, and all kinds of wickedness in this world. It doesn't take a genius to set up, listen, you, you know, okay, if right down here on the road here, they had a, like a little barn that used to be a steakhouse, okay? And people would occasionally go there and grab steak. But the minute that thing became a brewery, that thing is packed every weekend. And it's beyond capacity. You don't have to be a genius to serve beer and alcohol and to make a profit off of it, okay? So it doesn't take a genius to do those sorts of things. Those things will always sell and people will always buy it. Meanwhile, this frustrates people who do the right thing instead of going for the easy money. So there is a temptation, like Asaph said, to envy their success and think that all the wicked prosper. Everyone that does evil does well for themselves. And it's in t- there's a temptation to say, well, you know, you can't argue with success, right? You can't argue if it's working, then do it. Listen, if it appeals to the baser nature of people, it's always going to succeed. But it doesn't mean that that's the path to your prosperity and blessing. I think we have to talk about perception versus reality. When you think about this, do the wicked always prosper? And the answer to that is no. It just seems that way. Sometimes the wicked go bankrupt. Remember Bitcoin? Remember how everyone thought that was a really good idea until the guy who was like the chief hedge fund manager for that, and the guy who was behind the company, uh, got hauled into court because he was defrauding people and inflating what the numbers were going to be. So one moment you could have millions of dollars in Bitcoin, the next moment you could be sitting in court, potentially going to jail for the rest of your life. How many times in the news have you heard about famous actors going bankrupt or having to work to pay for their many divorces or massive debts? Just look into the reason why Robert De Niro is still working today. And you'll see why he's still working today. Because he said several divorces. Uh, or you follow Nicolas Cage. Some people like Nicolas Cage. Hey, he was in Left Behind. You know, he's in, he keeps working because he's in massive debt. Okay? How many stories do you see in the tabloids about uh, former child stars now living on the street or addicted to drugs? Quite a few. You know, Asaph's lament is there, you know, the wicked are always healthy and free from sickness and disease. No, you don't have to look any further than James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, or JFK Jr. to recognize the rich and famous often die tragically. Apple co-founder and innovator Steve Jobs died of cancer. So are the wicked really free from these sort of problems? The answer is no. Now, do the, do the wicked, do, do evil people, do... do Carnal people speak proud and boastful words and citing kinds of evil and immorality. Does the rest of the world follow and listen to them? Well, yes, they do. 
because they say, well, there's success. If you're famous, if you're rich, if you're wealthy, if you seem to be well-liked, people go, well, that's the path. Just look at how many people are on Instagram and go, how many followers they have just for what they ate for lunch that day. Or how to do makeup. And just people are following them. And it's just simple, mindless sort of things that people will follow others thinking because they're successful that they have some tip to help them be successful. Their life might seem like an endless success story, and it's easy to be envious of that. But is that really the case? Often you will find that it isn't. Bad people, carnal people, wicked people aren't always prosperous. It just seems that way. Especially when you're going through something bad, it can seem like everybody else has it better than you. Listen, if you walked to the grocery store recently and you've tried to, you know, buy groceries on your $100 a week budget and you realize that you're walking out with maybe a bag of dog food, some milk, some butter and cheese, and you're going, somebody, somebody else has it better than me. And it's like, it's just so unfair, God, that other people have it that way. It's like, no, the, the wicked don't always prosper. It's just our perspective. How we perceive life can change based on our circumstances. There are times when we can look at the people that we know that aren't Christians and think that their life is just so much better than ours. People who live how they want and give no thought up to God or others, and we can think that they have no problems or troubles, but that's a misconception. We sometimes only see the good and not the bad. And especially on social media, they carefully craft a persona, a brand, an image that says, I never have any problems. But the truth is, if you looked into their life, you would find that they have quite a few. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's part of the question, right? The question that every uh, non-Christian have asked. It's a question that a lot of Christians ask. Like, I'm doing good. How come bad things are happening to me? Well, first and foremost, you must understand we live in a fallen world. Genesis chapter 3 tells us creation is cursed because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. Romans 8.22 tells us that creation is in turmoil and chaos, longing for the day of its redemption. Since this is the case, this means sickness, injustice, natural disasters, and earthquakes affect the world that we live in. Since we're all subject to the same creation, we all experience hardship in this fallen and sinful world. Matthew 5.45, Jesus said that God sends sunlight on both the evil and the good. And that rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. I wish I could say that I get preferential treatment in the world that we live in because I'm a Christian and I follow God. I wish I could say that like, I could walk out this door when it's raining on a given afternoon and have the waters part like they did for Moses and I don't get wet going to my car. But we all know that that's foolishness. But by the same token, we're saying, well, why, do people, why are good people affected by earthquakes? And why is there flooding in Ghana? And why are there people getting sick and dying from different illnesses? And the answer to that question is because we live in a fallen world, and the effects and the actions that are sinful on the part of few affect not just the few, but they affect the many. Sometimes there are innocents that are affected by the sins of others. We're all subject to the blessings and the challenges and difficulties of this world that we live in. There are other sources to our trouble as well. 
You know, you could be a Christian that loves God, follows him, does all the right things, and still experience difficulty. You know where you're going to experience them from? You're going to experience them from the world and the devil. If you're doing good for God, the devil is going to give you a hard time about that. He's going to say, listen, you're trying to do things for God. I don't like that you're doing that, so I'm going to make it harder for you to do that. I'm going to make your life difficult for doing it so that you would hesitate and say, well, maybe I should stop doing those things because they only started happening when I started doing good. There's a reason for that. Because you are doing good and making a difference. And the devil's like, I don't like that. You need to stop. So if you experience resistance in that way, understand that there's moments where you're going to encounter that. Or the world that we live in. You do a good job at work, you make somebody else look bad. So guess what? They don't like you anymore. In fact, they're going to try and make your life miserable. They're going to try and get you fired. Why? Because you're doing the wrong thing? No, because you're doing the right thing and you're making everybody else look bad. Stop doing good. Stop being productive. Like, they, when, before you came into that department, everyone was lazy and they f- kind of fit into the status quo. And now that you're, you're in there and you're working at a high level because you have a strong work ethic and you have personal integrity, now those people are like, this guy is making us look bad. Let's get them out of here. This girl, she's taking her cashiering job a little too seriously. And, like, that's going to make the rest of us look bad, right? So the world's kind of out to take you out, too. The world also wants to corrupt the, everything in this world. There's selfishness and greed at work in this world. And if you get in the way of that, then you might find yourself on the receiving end of wrath and anger. Sometimes for being a Christian, we experience some difficulty. And Jesus said not to be surprised by that. John 15, 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And he said, no student is greater than his master." So if you're my disciple, if you're my follower, guess what? Not everybody's going to like you. That might be tough news for some of us today. We must question our motivation in this. We must do the right thing because it's what God wants us to do. We do what's right because it is right. Not for what we can get out of doing what's right. You follow? Okay? We do it because God wants us to do the right thing. Not because we're trying to get God to do something for us. If we're doing that, that's idolatry. That's what, what uh, the people of Israel, when they were serving God and other idols, would try to do. They say, if I just do what this God wants, then he'll give me what I want. And if I do what this God wants, then they'll give me what I want. And so it becomes this kind of thing where I'm doing it to get something. If that's our motivation, then our motivation is selfish, and it's not worship. Let me tell you something today. Doing the right thing is hard. And there are times you may even encounter persecution and difficulty for doing the right thing. But it doesn't mean that doing the right thing is wrong. It just means that it's hard. And that's why many people don't do it. So we must change our perception. We must understand why we experience difficulty and why good people experience difficulty. It's not a motivation to stop doing good. Amen? Let's continue to do good because that's the only way that people are going to see God. It's the only way that people are going to see what's right in a world that's so convinced in doing what's wrong. Take a look at Psalm 73, verses 13 through 15. And it comes to the heart of the matter here. This is really the heart of Asaph right here in verse 13. He says, All in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. 
And he said, I will speak thus or this way. If I had done that, then I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Now consider these words. Surely if I kept my heart pure, I kept it pure in vain. And Asaph is having a crisis of conscience, which brings us to a second question. The first question was, why does the wicked prosper? The second question is, was it worth it? Did I do the right thing for nothing? Was all of my good efforts in vain? And Asaph questions whether it was worth it to live upright or not. He says that he's gotten nothing but grief for it. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you became a Christian recently, and life was pretty good, and your friends liked you, and your people at work liked you, and then you became a Christian, and then all of a sudden your family doesn't like you, your friends say that you've changed, and now everything's different now, and people are against you, and there's arguments that are taking place, and you might think to yourself, well, why, when did this happen? Why am I going through this? And it's because things have changed in you. And Asaph really struggles with this idea. But the struggle is internal. He doesn't tell everybody about it. Especially since people look up to him for encouragement and to lead them in worship. And this can sometimes be our dilemma. Why am I keeping my integrity when a lack of integrity in the world is rewarded? Why am I suffering when if I just turned and ignored this one area of my life, I would be on the fast track to success? I'm going to tell you that if you get stuck on focusing on how bad people prosper, then you'll be miserable. But if you focus your attention on the Lord, your perspective will change. When did Asaph's perspective change? What snapped him out of his discouragement and his doubts and his concerns? Look at verse 16. It says, When I thought how to understand this, it seemed like a really wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Let me say that one more time. It says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I truly discerned their end, meaning the wicked. And truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment and swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when someone awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourselves, You despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, now look at this. He says, you know, I was starting to get bitter over this. I was starting to get resentful over this. And that's what happens when we are disappointed and frustrated by the world we live in. Maybe even you as a Christian, you say, you know what, I'm so frustrated by this. I'm starting to get a little jaded, a little bitter inside. He said, when my soul was embittered, I was pricked in heart. I was convicted in heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. And so Asaph is saying here, he's saying, I didn't understand any of this until I walked into your sanctuary. Then I understood. This actually makes a lot of sense given that he was a worship leader for David. Now think of Asaph. Asaph's not just walking in there as one of you or I. He's not walking in there as just a regular person that's attending a worship service. But rather, he would step into the sanctuary of Solomon's temple. And then the music would start. And then the singers would start to sing. And they would sing a song of God's faithfulness. And then the word would be read. And then everything all of a sudden started to make sense for him. When he stepped in front of those people, when, when he's leading the songs, when he's hearing them sing, all of a sudden he says, now I understand. Now it makes sense. A lot of things won't make sense to you outside of the context of worship. 
I'm just going to say that to you right now. The world we live in is confusing. The more we stay in it, the more confusing it can be. The more you're alone with your thoughts, the more confused you can get. But when we come into God's house, things start to make sense. There's a reason why the hall where Christians meet is called a sanctuary. Now that word has taken on a a negative connotation in the current media we live in. But the word sanctuary means refuge. The sanctuary is a refuge. The sanctuary is a shelter. It's a place where we can come together and spend time with God. And it's here that God gives us a different perspective on the world we live in. When Asaph's eyes were opened, his eyes were opened to the destiny of those who do good versus those who do evil. And the realization he came to is those who do evil will not last. In fact, the fame of those who do evil will not last. How many have a single from a one-hit wonder artist either on your playlist or a cassette in your car from that one hit that that one person had. And for that six months to a year, that was the jam. That was the song back in the day. But they never had another hit after that, and there have been has-beens. And so now they play Mohegan Sun, or you see him at the Big E, right? Because they used to be awesome, and now they're not awesome anymore. But you're like, yeah, they had that one song, Fame doesn't last. Wealth doesn't last. Look at what we've seen in the last four or five years. The economy's taken a nosedive. People who had lots of money don't have money anymore. Wealth doesn't last. Health doesn't last. You'll see surprisingly on the news on a regular basis, this actor died. This notable person passed away at a young age, no less. Man is temporary. Just like the flowers and grass of the field, Jesus said. They're here one day, and next day thrown into the fire. Can I tell you, too, the great thing about things that don't last? Troubles won't last either. We have our good times, and we have our bad times, but they're short-lived. Instead, focus on the eternal. We have a life that is eternal a kingdom that's eternal, a crown that's eternal, and a God that's eternal. So even though things are not great right now, even though things are difficult right now, you have something way better waiting for you on the other side. We have just got done with our study on heaven, and we've been talking about that. There's so many people are trying to like put off heaven until they reach their goals in this life until they experience all that they have to experience without realizing and recognizing that heaven is something we should be looking forward to because all of what God has promised will become a reality there. I'll tell you this today. I don't know where you're at with God right now, but I want to challenge you with this thought. God loves you. And he has a plan for your life. You might be frustrated by the world that you're living in right now. I want you to know that he's frustrated by it too. And one day he will make all wrong things right. One day every injustice will be called into account. And even our own actions will be called into account. 
If we've done wrong, if we've sinned in our life, then there will be a day that we'll have to stand before God and experience his judgment. But God has provided a way for us to escape wrath and judgment, and that's salvation through Jesus Christ. It's not about coming to church. It's not about being a member of Living Hope Church. It's about believing in the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just knowing that Jesus was a man, that he existed. Yes, I believe he existed and he died. But believing that he was the Son of God who died for your sins and rose again so that you could be forgiven and have life. I'm telling you today, you can uh, get past the frustrations of the temporary If you put your eyes on what is eternal, and Christ offers eternal life simply by believing and turning to him. If you haven't done that this morning, and you have yet to do it, I want to encourage you, before this service ends, pray a prayer to believe in Jesus, or come and talk to me after service. There is a life waiting for you that is better than this one. What the wicked have won't last, but what we have, will last forever. What did Asaph experience in God's sanctuary? Verses 23 through 28. He says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You, God, hold my right hand. You, God, guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My Flesh and my heart might fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near to God. And I have made the Lord God my refuge that might tell of all your works. Asaph gained a heavenly perspective. He understood the ultimate destiny of those who do evil. And he recounts all that he has in God. You know, when you're frustrated about where things aren't, when you're frustrated about what little you have, and sometimes you kind of look at it and you go like, I've walked through the, the restaurant, not restaurant, but the, uh, the grocery store the other day, and I'm you know, picking up stuff. I'm being Mr. Mom while Steph's in the hospital. I'm terrible at it, by the way. You know, if you ever want to confuse a man, give him a list, and then drop him in a grocery store he doesn't know. It is literally like the walking dead. <laughs> you don't know where I am. I don't know what, where everything is. But I'm looking through that and I go, how are senior citizens getting by on Social Security with these things? How are they making ends meet? How, you know, and we're frustrated by that and we're frustrated by what we don't have. But have you, have you ever stopped and thought about what you do have? In Christ. And Asaph does just that. He says, Listen, I have you with me. It ends with him saying that he has everything that those who do evil cannot have. He speaks of God holding his hand, he speaks of God guiding him through life and awaiting to receive him in heaven. He compares all the glory of this world with the glory that God provides. And he says, It's not even a contest. It's not even close. The glory of this world with the glory that God has, it's not even close. There's no comparison. He says, there's nothing I desire in this world but you. Now, that's a different perspective, isn't it? From the guy who started writing at the beginning, 
who was envious of those who were prospering and wealthy and seemed like that they were well-fed and doing well. That's a different perspective than when he started that. Sometimes as we go through it, God walks us through our feelings and our emotions and helps us to process those thoughts so that we go, you know what? I thought I wanted those things, but I got something better than what they have. He talks about the strength that God gives him. He talks about how good it is to be near to God. Let me ask you a question. Do you look at things this way? Do you see God this way? When we see his glory compared with the things of this world, does everything pale in comparison, or are you still longing for things that others have that won't even be there in a few years anyway? Even that nice car that that person has. Listen, every car that's on the road used to be a new car. You know, you pull into a parking lot and you see like that, that Toyota Corolla, you know, that's red, but it used to be red, but now it's like mauve because of the sun and the paint peeling. That used to be a new car, okay? Everything eventually fades and goes by the wayside. Even the thing, even if I were to give you a whole bunch of money and you had a new house and you had a new car and you had new everything, and you're like, oh, this is great. Guess what? Eventually that gets old and needs replacing or needs fixing. So put your mind and your thought on the things that don't expire, that don't go by the wayside, that don't ever get old. It's the things that are eternal. Are you troubled by what you see in the world around you? We all are. We sometimes think the wicked will get away with all the things that they do, but they won't because God is a God of justice and those who believe the testimony of the scriptures know that he is returning. And whereas in the first time that he came, he appeared in forgiveness and mercy and grace, the second time he comes, after everyone's heard the message of the gospel once, And everyone's been given the opportunity to repent and turn to him. After everyone's given that chance, the second time he comes, he will not be nice. He will not be as understanding as he was the first time around. But the second time around, he's going to come to judge the earth and those in the earth. It's like, well, pastor, that's, uh, you know, hellfire and brimstone. How do you preach that? Listen, you just said in your mind you're tired of the wickedness that you see in the world and the injustice you see, right? And you're tired of seeing people that do bad things get away with it. How come there are people that molest children that get away with it? How come there are people that commit mass murder and then take their own life and get away with it? Can I challenge you with the thought today? They don't get away with it. Because everyone will have to stand before God, and God will judge them according to what they've done, good or bad. Everything that this world has won't last. Are you wrestling with questions like Asaph did? You know, God always allows for our questions. That's one of the great things about going to God. God always responds to when we cry out and ask questions. He does not respond when we complain. I'll give you an example. People of Israel in prison in Egypt, 400 years, they cry out to God for mercy and deliverance. God sends Moses and sets them free. Same people walking through the wilderness. When God is providing for their needs and he provides manna and quail and different things like that, same people complain to God and complain about God for what they've received. And then God's really upset with them. So God responds to our crying out but not our complaining. He responds to our genuine questions. And can I tell you too, a little frustration, frustrating note, 
He may not always tell you the reason why. Then with Job, and we are frustrated by, with that because we're like, well, why won't you tell me? Can I challenge you with the idea that sometimes you're not ready for what he's going to tell you? You're not at the place yet where you're ready to learn or receive what he wants to tell you. Interestingly enough, years later, you'll kind of go, oh, that's why. And God will have shown you in that. His revelation, his instruction, his understanding. Sometimes the best lessons we have from God are in our rear view mirror. Sometimes you might be having trouble understanding, why are things like this? Like Asaph, you may be having your doubts and feel like your feet are slippering. Maybe you're starting to lose heart and lose faith because you're feeling bitterness creep in and resentment creep in. Maybe you're questioning on whether it's worth it to do good and serve God when everyone else around you isn't, seems like they're blessed. Can I encourage you with the words of the songwriter of David's worship leader? Get into God's sanctuary. Get into a place of worship in the word, and then things will start to make sense for you. Spend time with God. Ask the question. Spend time in his presence. When you do that, God will give you revelation, understanding, a new perspective, and strength. God is able to do that for you. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're wrestling with the same things he's wrestling with. Maybe you're in a good place. If you are, praise God. Can I share with you as a pastor who has gone through some things and is going through some things right now? My wife's in the hospital right now, okay? So there are times where you're like, well, I don't quite understand, but my wife and I have gotten to a place where we've come to expect that as you do God's work, you're going to face challenges. Sometimes you're going to face challenges in your physical body. Sometimes you're going to face challenges throughout. What do you do? Do you give up and retreat? Or do you press in and pray? Do you cling more closely to God or do you run away? And that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's where when you are on the other side of what you've gone through, you become a voice that God speaks through to someone who's going through grief or hardship or challenges. You will not always go through these troubles because troubles are temporary, but God is eternal. God's goodness is from everlasting to everlasting the same. So I'll challenge you today. Are you losing heart? Are you losing faith? Or it's not even that you've lost heart or lost faith, but you're starting to become a little bit resentful, maybe even resentful of the people that are blessed around you. Maybe you're letting bitterness creep in. Can I challenge you today to get into God's safe place? His sanctuary is a place that is a place of refuge, a place of shelter, a place to be with him. When you do that, you will spend time with him, and then you're like, what was I even upset about? When you have an audience with God himself, when you sit down across from God himself, when you enter into his throne room with the glory of his presence, everything else is just like, what was I mad about? What was I upset about? What does it even matter? It's like none of these things are important. Have you ever been in prayer where you're like you're laboring and travailing over something? And then you go to God with those things that are very stressful to you. And you bring them out. You pour them out. And, and you just, you know, you, you tell him everything that's going on. And you get done. You weep. You cry. And then you get up and you just feel like it's going to be okay. Even though you've never seen anything change about the circumstances. It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. He gives it to us, but only in his presence. Okay? 
So I want to challenge you. If you feel like those things are creeping in or getting the better of you, don't let them. It's ruined many a Christian. But instead, get in to God's presence and spend time with Him. Can I pray with you? I'm just going to close in prayer right now. And I just want to let you know that these altars are open. If you need prayer for anything, maybe something I've said has resonated with you. Maybe it struck a chord in your own life. You say, yeah, I'm starting to feel like that. Would you do me a favor? Would you come and let me talk with you and pray with you? I would love to just stand with you and agree with God for your behalf, knowing that he'll do something good for you. Maybe you aren't a Christian and you'd like to be. You say, you know, what you said sounds pretty good, but I I don't know where to begin with that. Can I challenge you that these altars are open and I'd love to chat with you about that too. But let's pray. And when I'm done praying, you're welcome to join me here at the front. So, Father, we thank you. God, forgive us for the times we've been frustrated by life. Forgive us for the times that we've been angry about the things that we see around us. Lord, forgive us for the times that we've uh, admired people who do wrong because they have what we don't. God, help us remember that we have something that they don't. And it will far outlast whatever they have. So I pray for those who are bitter in heart that you would heal those hurts. I pray for those, Lord, that need, Lord, to just spend time with you and to hear your voice and to experience your goodness. I just pray that you would just extend that to them right now. Lord, I pray for those that are here and those that are watching at home. Lord, would you just work, Lord, in their hearts, Lord, to to recognize, I don't like it when I'm like this, but I need to be in your presence. I need to be with you. And, Lord, that you would draw them closer to yourself. Lord, work out the things that they need to work out so that they, like Asaph, would, by the end of it, would just be praising you and just worshiping you and remembering and telling all of the good things that you've done, even in their valley, even in their dark place. So we pray a blessing. We pray pray direction, strength, and guidance in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.